1 Corinthians chapter 12. This morning we're going to begin to look at an area of scripture that's going to talk to us about spiritual gifts, the spiritual gifts, the spiritual things. And I know that when I even say the name spiritual gift, it often causes a divide within the church because many people have many different opinions, they have many different ideas. Some of you may have come out of the Pentecostal background. And at the very mention of spiritual gifts, you get all excited and you start thinking, that's cool, that's what this place needs. We need a little more of the Holy Spirit. Let's see if we can work up the Holy Spirit. And, and you get all excited. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts. Others of you come from a more conservative background, perhaps a Baptist background. At the very mention of the word spiritual gifts, you lean over to your spouse and say, listen, if anything crazy happens, we're leaving. Anybody does anything silly, we're walking out of here right now. Which one is it? You see, I know that here at Calvary Chapel, we get both sides that come together often. And I think that's really cool. But let me ask you this question. Who's right? They're both very different. But who's right? You see, the question we should be asking is not who's right. The question we should be asking is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about spiritual gifts? What does the Bible say about spiritual things? And I'm willing to bet that many of us, many of you, have never studied the work of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures completely. You've never devoted the time. You've never looked at all the areas that speak about these spiritual gifts. You've never studied Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and here in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Well, over the next several weeks, we're going to do just that. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts, or more accurately, spiritual things. In doing so, you will learn what we believe as Calvary Chapel when it comes to spiritual gifts and the working of the Holy Spirit. And it shouldn't surprise you that we don't line up exactly with what the Baptist Church says. We don't line up exactly with what the Pentecostal or the Assemblies of God Church says either. You see, if we did, if we believed all the same thing, then we should just be Baptist. Or if we believed everything the Assemblies of God believed, we should just be Assemblies of God. But we see we're somewhere in the middle. We're somewhere in the middle. And we would all say that we take a biblical approach to things, but we see things a little bit different. But before I begin, let me say this. It's okay to disagree in this area of scripture. It's okay to realize one person has one opinion, one person has another opinion. God is still at work in their lives of his people. Just because somebody doesn't agree with you, it doesn't mean they have to be your enemy. It doesn't mean that they, they that just because they don't line up with what you say or what the Pentecostals or what the Baptists believe, just because we don't line up exactly, it's okay in those areas. It doesn't mean that we have to make enemies. I want you to know personally I come from both sides of this, uh, of this area. I spent the first seven years of my life going to a Baptist school and have attended many Baptist churches. I've also spent a number of years in Pentecostal churches where I've seen all kinds of different things happen and attributed works that they, people have attributed to the Holy Spirit. I'm not coming to you with just one side in mind. I'm coming to you having uh, been to both sides and Calvary Chapel's position is where I seem to have found my home. It seems to make sense to me. More importantly, it seems to present it seems to represent the Bible accurately. And we'll, I'll explain more on that as I go along. But I want you to know I'm speaking from both ends of the spectrum. I've witnessed both sides. I've been involved in both sides. I've seen both things. Now, before we begin, let me give you a little bit of background about the Holy Spirit. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, we have an Old Testament prophecy. Joel is an Old Testament prophet, chapter 2. He promises the coming of the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it to you. Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. He says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. That was prophesied by Joel in the Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, in John chapter 7, Jesus spoke about this. He said in chapter 7, he told his disciples that he was going away. And they could not come with him. And to comfort them, he said this, If anyone thirsts, let him come, after, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That was John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Right before the crucifixion, while still with the apostles, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would be sent to them. In John chapter 14, he said this, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. In Acts chapter 1, following the crucifixion and right before his ascension to heaven, Jesus told the disciples, listen to what he said to them. He said, do not depart from Jerusalem. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Well, not long after this, the disciples and the others were gathered together in the upper room there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were empowered for service. And on that particular day, the manifestation, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit upon them was they began to speak with other tongues. And when it happened, everyone began to gather around and go, what's going on? This is chaos. Look, those guys are drunk, they thought. And in that very moment, under the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter stood up and he said this. I'm going to summarize it for you. It's out of Acts chapter 2. He said, these men aren't drunk. It's too early in the morning for them to be drunk. What you are seeing is what exactly what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days that God, that says, God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter stood up and said, this is what's happening. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Peter referred back to the Old Testament. He went back to the prophet of Joel to validate what was taking place on the very day the spirit of God was poured out on his people that would become the church. He used the Old Testament to validate it. What Joel had prophesied, what Jesus had promised, had now been fulfilled. The Spirit of God was now working in a way that it had never worked before. On the church, it was upon the church, the people of the church. On that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit began working in the midst and among the church, and he hasn't stopped today. He's still working. Whether you choose to recognize his work or even attribute his work, it's still happening. Whether you choose to believe or not believe, it's still going on. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Jesus gave gifts to men. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, it says, If you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, when it comes to the issues and the things of the Holy Spirit, most of us are ignorant. We don't understand. We don't know. It was the same way in Corinth. 
The church in Corinth was all messed up in in a number of ways. In just a few short years, the church in Corinth had become misguided in regards to the working of the Holy Spirit. They'd become confused. It was obvious as chaos set in. Paul wants to reestablish their course with this letter. He wants to clarify the working of the Holy Spirit. He wants to give them guidance in regards to the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, especially in the congregational setting. Do you remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you were with us, in verse 4? Paul had this to say about the church in Corinth. He said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that, verse 7, so that you came short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said they came short in no gift. That means they had all the gifts. And they were eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what we know about their church? It was a mess. It was a disaster. That's why Paul's writing this letter. It was littered with sexual misconduct. Division was happening. Improper use of their Christian liberties. They were suing one another in the court. And they were even taking the Lord's Supper inappropriately. We learned that last week. So although they had the gifts, they were waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ, their church life, their corporate church, their corporate worship, it was a disaster. It should not surprise us when it came to the workings of the Holy Spirit, there was nothing but pure chaos and disorder that had set in their congregation. Paul wants to fix it. He wants to make sure they understand. You see, in Corinth, some people were pretending to have gifts of the Spirit. They're pretending. It wasn't real. It was something they were pretending Other people became disgruntled or they didn't like their gifts. They wanted what somebody else had. I want to do their ministry. I I don't want what I have. I want to do what they have. They weren't happy with what God had given them. Others were exercising their spiritual gifts right there in the church congregational setting. But they were doing it completely out of order. And it created confusion within the congregation. And Paul wants to set it straight. Therefore, over the next several chapters, over the next several weeks, perhaps even a couple of months... Paul's going to begin explaining the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and how it should operate within the church and the life of a believer. Please follow along with with me as I read the first 11 verses of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills we're going to travel through this area of scripture slowly i believe it's important to make sure that you understand 
This morning we're going to look at about the first seven verses. Look at verse 1 with me. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. In light of Paul's harsh rebuke to the church in Corinth for the way they were treating the Lord's Supper, I think it's important to note he's still calling them brethren. They're still his brothers in Christ. There's still a connection between them. Although they were misguided, although they were, things weren't happening the way they should be happening within their congregational, within their church, Paul says, you're still my brothers in Christ. You're my brothers and sisters. We're still brothers and sisters. Now, I will tell you this morning, we're going to look at some of this scripture in depth. We're going to look at some Greek words. And for some, you go, oh, cool, it's going to get a little deeper. For others, you go, oh, geez, I don't know if I can follow it. It's important that we understand it's important that we understand the gifts of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the workings of the Spirit. For if we don't, we can be easily be deceived. We could be confused. We could attribute something to a work of the Holy Spirit that's not the Holy Spirit at all. Or we could miss the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us to accomplish God's will in us. Now, I want you to notice the word right there in chapter 12, verse 1. Do you see the word gifts in your Bible? Is it in italics? It should be, the word gifts. Spiritual, it should be the regular word. Gifts should be in italics. You know what that means? It means it's not part of the original language. It means there's no Greek word there for gifts. There's a Greek word there for spiritual, but the Greek word for gifts, it does, it's not there. The Greek word there for spiritual, it's called pneumaticos. I'll give you the spelling later if you need it. And it literally means spiritual things. Spiritual things. So what Paul is saying there is, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about spiritual things things now we've put gifts in there and our translators have put it there to make it easy for us to understand but i think it's made it a little more complicated and i'll explain that as i go along think of it this way paul says to them i don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual things don't think spiritual gifts yet because that confuses everybody paul's saying to the church in corinth listen guys there's a lot of spiritual things happening in your fellowship there's a lot going on and i don't want you to be ignorant to what's going on so i want to educate you i want to teach you i want you to be informed that should perk our antenna up too. go wait a minute there's spiritual things happening in our fellowship i don't want you to be ignorant to what's going on either as a believer whenever paul says they don't want to be ignorant that should what what, what is it this is important this is not just him saying something that we don't need to hear. This is really important. It means he has something important he wants to teach me, teach them and teach us here in, in Cumberland. The word for ignorant, agnoio. It's where we get our word agnostic. It means, I don't know. And Paul says, I don't want you to be the person that says, I don't know. I want you to be the person that knows. I want you to be the person that understands. I don't want you to be unaware. Paul wants us to know. He doesn't want us to not know. He doesn't want us to be agnoio. He wants us to know. Maybe you've heard the term agnostic. That's what people say. Do you believe in God? Well, I'm agnostic. What does that really mean? It means I don't know. There might be a God. There might not be a God. I'm not sure. When it comes to spiritual things, Paul says, I don't want you to be an I don't know. I want you to be somebody who says, I know, and I understand, and I have it down. In fact, in his writings, Paul uses the phrase or the word in regards to several things. There's several things Paul says in his scriptures I don't want you to be ignorant of. Whenever you see those things, you should go, hmm, I don't want to be ignorant of those things either. You know what you'll find is I'm going to read you a short list of just a few of them, that these are the very things today that churches fight over. Why? Because they're ignorant of them, because they don't understand them. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 11, verse 25. It says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles 
has come. Let me summarize it for you. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. God is not done with the nation of Israel, although some churches would teach that. They would call it replacement theology, where the church replaces Israel. So all the promises that you would read in the Old Testament go from Israel. They're automatically taken over to the church. That's called replacement theology. That's not what Paul's teaching there in Romans chapter 11 or in other places in Scripture. Paul says there's a time, there's a season. Their eyes have been darkened, they've been blinded for a, for a season, for a purpose. But they will be opened again one day. God is not done with the nation of Israel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul said this. He said, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Whose devices? Satan's. We are not supposed to be ignorant of Satan's plans, of how Satan attacks us, of how Satan approaches us. We should know how he operates. You should know as much about your enemy as possible. Why? Because then you can defend against him so much easier. We're not to be ignorant of those things. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul said he didn't want us to be ignorant about those who have died in Christ and about the coming of the Lord Jesus. He makes it clear that I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, Now concerning spiritual things, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You say, Rob, you've spent a lot of time talking about this. Why is it even so important? Because even today, even today, there are those that teach the Lord is done with the nation of Israel. People teach that. There are those who don't know the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Why? Because they're ignorant of it. Some people are unaware of Satan's tactics. And some people even say the spiritual things have ceased, or some of them have ceased. And Paul says, listen, I don't want you as the church in Corinth, and I think it applies to us as a church, a church in Cumberland, to be ignorant about the spiritual things that are happening in our midst and in our presence. I want to, I want to educate you. But are you personally ignorant towards these things? Are your opinions towards spiritual gifts or even spiritual things what are they based on? Are they based on what the pastor says? Maybe they're based on what you can comprehend or what you can understand. Are they formed around your experiences or perhaps even your lack of experiences? I have never experienced that, therefore it must not be true. Pastor said it, therefore it must be true. You see, what we believe when it comes to these things, it needs to be, it needs to be rooted in the scriptures rooted deep into the scriptures, not what a pastor says, developed from careful study, deliberate exegesis of the word of God, deliberate understanding of the word of God, all while under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Please don't take what I'm saying for your, if, if don't just take what I'm saying and go, that's what I believe. No, no, study it for yourself. Show yourself approved. Find out where you believe. And if you and I disagree, that's okay. It's okay. You can still come to church here if you don't agree with everything I say in, in regards to spiritual gift. That's fine. We don't need to divide over it. We don't need to separate the church over it, is what I would say. Paul says it's important. And it's so important, he's going to devote the next several chapters to helping us understand it. He wants us to know, it becomes the word of God, and we're going to look at what the word says. Let's look at verse 2 as Paul begins to educate us about these spiritual things. Verse 2. He says, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, However you were led, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul does two things in these two verses. First, he reminds them of their past. He says, you guys were previously deceived when it came to the worship of a God. 
You were taken away to these, what did he call them? Dumb idols. However you were led. Somebody led you astray and you followed them. Do you know that somebody could lead you astray? How do you know if someone's not leading you astray? The word of God. Are they, are they following the word of God? If they get outside of the word of God, run from them. Get away from them. Paul points to their past. After all, they'd previously worshipped false gods. They'd been hook, line, and sinker. They got it. You know, they, they pulled them off. They're in the temple. They're taking the feast. They're going to worship. They're doing whatever it is, the rituals that were done. They were worshiping these false gods. Paul says, look, you've already been deceived once. I don't want it to happen again. You have an obligation to make sure that you're not ignorant towards these things. Don't be deceived again. Second, Paul gives them, I believe, a test to determine spiritual things. Are they from the Holy Spirit? Or are they from another spirit? You see, just because something is spiritual, just because it looks spiritual, it appears spiritual, doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit doing it. It could be, it could be a false spirit. It could be an evil spirit. He gives them a test. Verse 3 tells us how to tell if the spiritual things happening in a church or in somebody's life are authentically the Holy Spirit or if there's some other possibly evil spirit. Look at verse 3. He says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Some people, when they come to this verse, they believe or they explain it this way. They say, well, one person overheard another person praying in tongues in their private prayer language, and they overheard that person, under, they understood what that language meant, they and they, they heard that person that was praying in tongues who didn't understand what they were saying, cursing God. If that's in fact what it's saying here, and, and it could be, but I don't necessarily think so, Paul's saying that couldn't happen. If the person praying in, in, in an alleged private prayer language is truly praying in the Holy Spirit, it would be impossible for the Holy Spirit himself to curse God, which he's part of. He's one part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit would never curse God or never curse Jesus if in fact it's the Holy Spirit praying. That's, what, that's one explanation for this. And it's certainly a possibility. But I believe Paul is setting up a test for us here. A litmus test, a two-pronged litmus test, if you will, where we can evaluate spiritual things in other people's lives, within churches, or within what's going on around us. He says, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God is going to call Jesus accursed. I want you to know that. Paul's saying that we have the ability, we have the obligation to judge the spiritual things that are happening around us. We need to take a look. Is this real or is it fake? Is it phony? Is it name it and claim it and blab it and grab it type stuff? Or is the Lord really doing something miraculous before your very eyes? There's a supposed, put it this way, how do we know? What, what, what's the, what is he looking at? Paul's saying to judge these spiritual things in people's lives and their churches. How? By how they relate to Jesus Christ. What does it say about Jesus Christ? What are they doing with Jesus Christ? Where does Christ stand in the midst of the spiritual activity that's going on? Who do they say Jesus is? Does this supposed spiritual gift glorify the Lord, Jesus Christ, or does it glorify the person that has the supposed gift? Does it glorify the ministry or the church or the place, or does it glorify the Savior? You see, it all comes down to who's being glorified there. Does it promote a true Jesus or a false one? Is it promoting man or is it promoting Christ? Oh, but you have to be careful. Because man can look like they're promoting Christ, but really be promoting themselves. It can, it can be deceiving. What a person truly believes about Jesus Christ is the test of whether or not what he teaches and does is by the Holy Spirit. That's the test. The Holy Spirit always leads men to ascribe lordship to Jesus Christ as one indivisible and divine person to be obeyed completely. Completely. 
That's the testimony of the Father, it's the testimony of Christ, and it's the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus made it plain, saying this, that when the Holy Spirit comes, what did he say? Who did he say the Holy Spirit would testify of? Himself. The Holy Spirit's going to testify of Christ. That's what he said. He will glorify me, being Christ, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The work of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Christ, to draw people to Christ, to convict people of sin so they realize their need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit is always going to point people back to Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is never to promote himself or any man. It's not about him, it's about Christ. But to glorify and represent Jesus, we can therefore trust that the true ministry of the Holy Spirit will be according to the nature of Christ himself. It'll be according to Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit will always point people to Christ. It's very clear in the scriptures. If somebody is cursing God or belittling Christ or not recognizing the Trinity or the deity of the Lord, it's not a work of the Holy Spirit. He's not behind it. If somebody is doing something contrary to God's word, it's not a work of the Holy Spirit. He's not behind it. If somebody is elevating themselves with a supposed gift of God, the Spirit of God is not behind it. The Holy Spirit will be pointing people to Christ and convicting the world of sin. Unfortunately, some churches, some religions have become more about an experience with the Spirit and they've set aside the Word of God. Some churches have become so experiential. Maybe you've been to one where worship becomes very experiential. They get the smoke machine going and they work up the crowd and, 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 and they want to they you know, bring you up on a high and drop you down on a low. It's, it's all planned that way. It's, it's planned to, to take your emotions and grab it and, and, try to, and, and they want it to be an experiential type worship. They want you to experience the Holy Spirit like you don't already have the Holy Spirit with you and in you if you're a believer and upon you, like you don't already have that. But they create that. There's a church out there, and I won't mention their name. They have feathers falling from the ceiling during worship. And they, they proclaim that feathers of angels, angel feathers are coming down from heaven. They're gracing us with their presence. And the people stand there and worship, and, and the feathers start drifting down. They have bags of feathers up in the ceiling they're dumping. Well, they deny putting them there. They call it miraculous, but it's only happening at their church. Nobody else's church is experiencing that. And on some Sundays, they're graced with gold dust. Gold dust comes sprinkling down from the ceiling. They turn the lights in a certain way, and you can just see the glittering coming down. And they, It's the presence of God among them. It's a popular church. They have good music. You've heard them. If I told you who they were, you will, you've, I'm sure you've heard of them. But this is the kind of stuff that's taken place in the name of the Holy Spirit. What are they really promoting? The experience of worship. You, come, you can only worship God like that at our church. You can only meet the Lord like that at our church. You can't meet them down the street at that church because they don't have going on what we have going on. Now we have the Holy Spirit. They don't have it. Who are they really promoting? Themselves. They'd act like they're promoting God. But who are they really promoting? They're drawing people unto themselves. What's on display? The church? The experience? That's what's on display there. You can only have this type of experience at their church. It's not true. Listen, it's very simple when it comes to spiritual things. Ask yourselves these three questions. Is it taught or modeled by Jesus Christ? Do you see it modeled in the life of Christ? Is it taught or modeled by him? If no, disregard it. Is it taught or modeled by the apostles or the early church in the book of Acts? Do we see it modeled for us in the scriptures, on the pages of scripture? Is it modeled for us there? No, then we don't need to worry or concern ourselves with it. Is it taught or modeled or explained in the epistles, in the letters that the apostles wrote? 
If we don't find it in the scriptures, we don't need to be concerned with it. Maybe some of you have been a part of some of the nonsense that goes on. Barking like dogs, uncontrollable laughing that's happening out in some churches. We don't see those things in the scriptures. They're not defined for us, so we don't want any part of them. When we don't see those things, if it's not, or, if it's not taught or modeled in these three areas, we can and we should disregard it. Set it aside as a work of the flesh. It's not spiritual, or if it is spiritual, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the flesh or an evil spirit. It's something that we as believers go, I don't want any part of that. Paul says if you look to the person or the thing that's being promoted, you can determine who's doing the work. Where's it coming from? The Holy Spirit will always seek to testify of Jesus or to promote Christ, promoting Christ. Anything else will not be a work of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at verse 4. He says there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. The gifts come from the same Spirit, the ministries from the same Lord, the activities from the same God. There are all these things are different, but it's in the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God doing all these things. Why? Who works all in all. God's doing it. It's important to remember All these things come from the Lord. Now, if you noticed it there, I think it's interesting. Paul lists gifts, ministries, and activities. Those are key words in understanding what he's about to talk about. It seems to me that Paul is talking about spiritual things when he opens the chapter. Pneumaticos, we talked about that. Then he breaks it down even further to these gifts, ministries, and activities. I like lists in the scriptures. They make it easy for me to understand. So we have Paul addressing us going all right guys i don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual stuff spiritual things but then he lists here in verse four this idea of gifts ministries and activities all three of these areas all three of these words can be found in these predominant areas of scripture that teach us about spiritual gifts or spiritual things romans 12 ephesians 4 and here in first corinthians chapter 12 through 14 i want to take a little bit of a deeper look more so than we usually do at those three words Okay. First, I'm going to look at gifts. If you search the Greek word for gifts, it's charisma, charisma, or charisma, charisma, you will find that Paul uses it 16 times. And one particular place of interest to us this morning is in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Just so happens that that is one of the key places that it comes that you turn to when you study spiritual gifts. So turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Romans 12, verse 6 says this. Having then gifts, that's the word right there. Charisma or charisma. Having, di- having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul says these things are gifts. 
and they're given by the Holy Spirit. Some of these gifts will overlap with some of the things that we're going to see in the other areas. They're going to overlap with the ministries that we're going to cover in Ephesians 4. They're going to overlap with the manifestations that we'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So when you think of spiritual gifts, this is an area that you should turn to, Romans chapter 12. He's talking about gifts. Paul uses the word gifts there, having then gifts differing according to the grace. The gifts are different. Now, back to 1 Corinthians. If you search the Greek word for ministries, diakonia is what you'll find. That's the Greek word, diakonia. You'll find that Paul uses the word about 31 times in his writings, and one particular place of interest is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where it says this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 now. I want you to see this for yourself. I want you to understand. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These are the ministries or the offices of the Holy Spirit. It's often referred to as a five-fold ministry. Now, I must tell you that to refer to this area of scripture as a five-fold ministry is inaccurate. Uh, there's actually, it should be referred to as a fourfold ministry. And you go, well, there's five things listed there, Rob. I counted them. There's five. It should be a fivefold ministry. No, according to the Greek language, the pastor's and teacher's office is two words to describe one office. Now, I know that some of our brothers and sisters in different denominations say it's a fivefold ministry, but according to the biblical Greek, the Koine Greek, there's actually four offices there that is laid out for us. Now, turn back with me to 1 Corinthians. If you search the Greek word for activities, activities, the Greek word there is energema. It's where we get our word energy from, energema, energy. The only other place you will find it besides right here is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So it's right here in this chapter. The only two places it's used in the entire scripture. Chapter 12, verse 10 says, to another, the working, that's the word right there. It's translated as working, the energema, the activities, the energy of miracles to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. This list is the activities or the manifestations, the way the Holy Spirit manifests himself in somebody's life. Now, I know that I covered those three things. Some of you guys are right there with me. Others of you guys are scratching your head going, I have no idea what you're talking about. It took me a while to put this into perspective, and you'll understand this is an introduction. We're going to continue going through this area of Scripture as we, as we move on. But let me see if I can make it clear for you and simple. When people use the term spiritual gifts, they're referring to all of this stuff. All, it's all lumped in together as spiritual gifts. I believe that when Paul started out chapter 10, he said spiritual things. And then he set them up as gifts, ministries, activities, and manifestations. Paul lists them that way for us. So rather, you'll hear people talk about spiritual gifts, and you really don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about all that stuff. But when someone talks about spiritual gifts, my mind thinks Romans chapter 12. When someone talks about the ministries of the Holy Spirit, my mind thinks Ephesians chapter 4. When someone talks about the manifestations or the activities of the Holy Spirit, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's, that's how my mind associates with them and works it there. The gifts are found in Romans chapter 12. The ministries of Ephesians 4. The activities of the manifestations are found in 1 Corinthians um, chapter uh, 12. All of these things overlap. As we go through these lists, you're going to see that they overlap. It's, it's the way the Lord works. It's not, it's not in 
three concise, clear, concise areas, there's going to be some overlapping. Now look at verse 7 to explain to us why the Holy Spirit is doing these spiritual things. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the profit of all. Why, why, why is the manifestation of the Spirit given? For the profit of the church, for the profit of all people, for the profit of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is present with and in all believers. John 14, 6 tells us that the Holy Spirit would abide with us forever. However, at certain times in the life of a believer, the presence is more apparent than others. The Holy Spirit works supernaturally, naturally within us. And I know that doesn't sound right, but the chances are you have experienced many of the things of the Holy Spirit in your life. You just didn't even realize it was the Holy Spirit doing it. It just happened. And as we go through this area of scripture, I told you we're going to go slow because I think it's important because Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. It's important. We're actually going to go back next week and we're going to look at Romans 12. And we're going to look at Ephesians 4. And then we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we're going to pick up there with the manifestations. I want to go back and cover this whole thing, this whole big area, so that you will not be ignorant about it when you're done. And by the time we're done with this, you will have looked and go, man, I understand what the Bible says. If you're confused this morning, it'll make sense as we go along. And we'll answer the questions like, are there certain spiritual gifts that are, are no longer in use, only they're, they're, they're not for today? Are they not, you know, we'll answer all those things. All those questions are clearly laid out in scripture for us. It's not going to be difficult for you to see the answers to. It's never that the Holy Spirit is more present with you at one time over another. It's just how he chooses to manifest himself or to make himself known in somebody's life. And the purpose of his manifestation is for the profit of all. That's what we need to understand. It's for everybody. I can assure you the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything strange or weird or would cause anybody to run away. If it's a true working of the Holy Spirit, it's going to cause you to glorify God for what's taking place. It's going to cause you to give glory to his name. Remember, Paul began chapter 12 talking about spiritual things. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual things. Then he broke it down. Gifts, ministries, activities, and manifestations. And most people today start with that heading of spiritual gifts. We're replacing that heading with spiritual things, and then we're breaking it down individually, and we're going to cover each one of those individually. We've started with the heading of spiritual things rather than spiritual gifts. Next week, we're going to look into those areas of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and maybe even get into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Say, Rob, why are we doing it that way? You don't usually go back to other places too much. It's important that we see it as a whole because it is so confusing within our churches, within Christianity today. Who's right? The question isn't who's right. The question is what does the Bible say? And I want to expose you guys to it so that you're not ignorant to it, so you have an understanding of what's going to be, what the scriptures are saying, what it means, and how to apply it. And he's already given us the litmus test of saying, just look to see who's being promoted. Look who's being, if you want to know who it's coming from, if it's coming from the Holy Spirit, it's going to promote Christ. Anything else is going to be promoting people, promoting a ministry, promoting mankind, promoting some other work, some other thing besides the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will always, 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 always testify and point people back to Christ, not even to himself. Let's pray. Father, we come to this difficult area of Scripture. It's a little bit... Uh, biblical maybe it's hard to understand it can be hard to grasp and sometimes we come to church Lord we just want to maybe hear an easy message but Lord you've made it clear that we're not to be ignorant of these things you've made it clear that we're supposed to know these things so that we're not deceived Paul even used the Gentiles as an example saying they once followed dumb idols 
Lord, we don't want to be deceived. We don't want to follow a pastor or a teacher or a man. Lord, we want to follow you. We want you to receive glory for what's happening in our life. We want you to receive all the glory for the changes that are happening in our life, the things that you're doing. Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do next. And I just pray that each person here, Lord, would not be ignorant of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.